Welcome to episode 51 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, are Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Casale. Welcome, listeners. It is Monday night, April 7th. And after a long couple months, month and a half, of a lot of movie trailer releases and movie news and lots of movie this or that, tonight we're getting back to the roots of what we... Can't, well, we originally came here to talk about from the very beginning, and that is comic books. It's not horror. It's not horror. But science fiction. Not science. Well, I guess it's kind of science fiction. Yes, so. We're here to talk about comics. A little extended. What you've been reading tonight? What if they were horror comics? Then that would fit right in to what we like as long to as talk it's comics. About. I didn't read any horror comics this week. You didn't? No. I did. We can get into that later. What are we going to do first? First, we're going to do housekeeping with Ian Sharpley. Housekeeping? I feel like housekeeping needs, like, introductory fanfare. I got the background, the bed of background music. It's nice and soothing. Yeah, I, I, I love the background music, but I feel like there should be like trumpets introductory fanfare. Yeah. Like, okay, here it is, and then... You're, well, you're looking at our... The, the mixer... Our producer, our, our All right, yeah, audio yeah, I'm producer. thinking, well, wait. What? You want it to be what? He wants, like, trumpets. Right? Okay, trumpets. Like oh. a fanfare. Yeah. Okay. Isn't and that what you said? Yeah, and then into the classic. With housekeeping. I got it. Music. I got it. No, no, no pressure, no rush. Whatever. Whatevs. I feel like you're expecting it for this... Episode. It doesn't happen. If, if this ends up being a good episode, if I'm feeling it by the end, if I say, hey guys. Because we're not feeling it now. Well, not, no, not yet. But we're only um, two minutes and six seconds into this bad boy. It could go all so horribly wrong. But if afterwards I'm like, you guys, I don't know what you thought, but this was one of our better episodes, our 51st, which just so happens to be one away from 52. You know what 52 represents? How many titles DC publishes every month? Exactly. So, if I'm, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling good, if I feel like this is the episode where we got to break out the trumpet fanfare for housekeeping, you will have heard it. You, you listeners will know that I felt this was a good episode if you have already heard the trumpet fanfare. <laughs> if you have, if we do have the new trumpet fanfare, then you can go back into the archives and listen to how the old shitty housekeeping used to sound. Sans fanfare. You can go to mixsauce.com. On Wednesdays, we post new episodes to the podcast. We have our strips and our reviews posted as well during the week. We update five times a week, so it gives you a lot of content to check out while you're at work, bored out of your mind. Looking for anything to do, come to mixsauce.com and check out some, some funny strips, some reviews, some suggestions of what you should be reading. You can go to the Facebook page and like us. You can leave comments. And I checked into it today. The comment section, it does work. So all you have to click is comments by other users and it'll bring up great kind of Feedback And the feedback that we're always looking for, feedback from one Matthew Kibbert, who back on March 13th 
Wist Mixos a happy birthday. Thanks for a year of uncomfortable alphabetizing character arguments. A fresh numerical way to rate movies like Thor The Dark World. <laughs> and let's not forget Mixos Children's Christmas Toy Drive. <laughs> I give you a Polynomic Skretsky 99. Here is to another year of hating Matt's opinions and hoping Godzilla gets his scaly dick kicked into the dirt at the box <laughs> office. Great work, gentlemen. Wait, 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 wait. So that is one part of feedback that you could, something that you could hear on that page, things that you could expect from Alyssa Richards. She says that Godzilla is going to beat out the amazing Spider-Man all day. Right on, Alyssa. And she has an extensive history of working in movie theaters, so I feel like she has insider's knowledge. I feel like uh, Sharpley is starting to feel the heat a little bit after this weekend. He was uh, he was greeted with uh, the beginning salvo uh, barrage of Godzilla marketing That's and true. merchandising. Everything from movie theater cups... Uh, I don't think the employees were wearing shirts yet. Don't worry about it. They'll do that Spider-Man weekend. They, we went to Red Robin initially for dinner uh, Saturday night after Captain America 2. And they had Red Robin Godzilla gift cards. Now, all of this did not change my opinion. I am still holding true to the, the, the bet that I made a couple of weeks ago. However... Someone that was formerly in my camp, Dylan Mahaffey, who you've heard on this show and will hear on this show again in the future, wrote on the Facebook page that he had a good time at Captain America with us, but he wanted to apologize to me because after looking at the new Spider-Man 2 trailer, which looks like a flaming turd in his (laughs) opinion, he will be joining Team Matt and saying that Godzilla will open at number one. So, more of that feedback that we like. Oh, that's helps, so nice of you to clap. It, it helps shape the show. It helps let us know what the fans are thinking from our Sunday episode where we reviewed Captain America Winter Soldier. One of our other fans, Justin, not Justin that was on the show, but uh, Justin that listens to the show, said that Matt is an idiot for giving Captain America a six. So more feedback from our loyal and intelligent fans. Justin, I see where you're coming from. I felt a five was a little too harsh. So I decided, because there were some enjoyable aspects to it. Are we watching hockey? Are or we watching are we hockey or are we doing a podcast? All I want to do is a zoom, zoom, update zoom. some scores. Scores will be there after the show. So anyway... Matt's an idiot. Who is this Justin? He scored a perfect score on the villain's head test that I gave last summer. So, intelligent comic book fan, Justin. That doesn't know shit about... No, okay. You know, maybe that's <laughs> you harsh, You our fans like this. Well, he already reviewed us, right? So uh, can't go back and he it? may have. I don't know. Let's hold out hope and say that he didn't. We, and by the way, fans, we're still looking for nine more reviews on the iTunes review page. So please go to iTunes, rate and review, leave us a nice comment, tell us that Matt's an idiot, or tell tell us that I'm an idiot and that Godzilla will win out in the bet. Or say that Paul should fucking pay attention and not be watching hockey. 
Whatever you want to say. I'm paying attention. I'm all up in it. Multitasking. I like it. So tonight we're going to do some extended What You've Been Reading and uh, talk about the things that are happening in the universes that we all follow. So Matt, What You've Been Reading? Well, um, what have I been reading? I read the internet a lot. I read different... It's a great book. No, it's the the internet. The internet's... I'm reading a lot of shit about Flight 370. Yeah? I thought that they found it already, but they I thought they did too. But now they're trying to find the part of it or something. I don't know. They have this pinger down there. Um, I don't know... It's, you know... Shouldn't the pinger run out within, like, ten days? I thought they had a finite amount of time to... I don't really get it. I read it, but I don't really know what I'm reading. I feel like I'm reading a Marvel book. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, but, like, I I find the news interesting. Because I was reading... Not to turn this into the McSauce Political podcast. Go for it. Let's go and do it. Come on. I was reading all about Russia's invasion of of uh, the Ukraine. The Ukraine is it what, is it Ukraine did, or the Ukraine? I like calling it the Ukraine. I feel like the it's Ukraine. Ukraine. They, they address the Ukraine as the Ukraine because there are so many different factions of um, of peoples hmm. underneath that it's not just one major. Um, Political party or ethnicity. Okay. That's why it's the Ukraine. So. But they didn't invade the Ukraine. They invaded, uh, is it Crimea or Crimea? Yeah. Crimea. 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 Which is worlds different than if they invaded the Ukraine. Because ah. the Ukraine is a NATO member, which that would have been World War Three. Was Crimea not part of Ukraine? No. It's its own. It was its own separate mm. thing. But now it's part of Russia. Yes, and there was. There also. They also were thinking about possibly invading Latvia, uh, which is also a NATO member. Which that also would have meant World War Three. Now World War Three is pretty. It's a pretty big deal. It's like Captain America two scale big, right? Or all of a sudden, all of a sudden. Nobody gives a shit about this because an airplane crashed. And we're about to have World War Three in real life, not comic books, folks. Real life. It's an extremely and, uh, and we haven't dire heard situation. we haven't heard shit because an airplane crashed. Why do we change our focus so easily with the news? Isn't it interesting that I couldn't be any less interested in the Ukraine or this aircraft stuff? You have no kind of... None. I don't give no, a shit. No? And it's real life. I don't care. It is real life. I find history doesn't, really interesting. Doesn't interest me one bit. No? No. Paul, those that are ignorant to current affairs are doomed to repeat history. However, they always say that. Is there no positive history that's ever happened? Like, anything good that can't be repeated? It's always the bad shit. That's I want to repeat... Like, I don't know something something positive. Has anything Was ever Woodstock positive? positive? How about that? Peace, love. Well, they did repeat roll. it. Yeah, and it turned out shitty. They repeated it. Was there it were, shitty? 
there were a couple different Woodstocks. Right? There was Woodstock 94 and then Woodstock 99. 94, that was the good one, right? That was yeah. the good sequel. Right. It was Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and Woodstock 99 was Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Hey, I was watching the first half of Spider-Man 3 on Saturday before we did Cap, and <clears throat> I thought it was pretty good, pretty entertaining. The sequence with the, the Green Goblin in the beginning, with um, when he was fighting Peter Parker without his costume, that was a little bit rough around the edges. But overall... I love like the cinematography, and I love watching the way that Sam Raimi kind of frames a shot, and the 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 dynamic way that he kind of uses the camera. As you know, the he, I feel like Sam Raimi was the perfect guy to direct Spider Man. He brings a comic book to life in such a dynamic way, and. I cannot think of any other comic book director, comic book movie director, any other director that has done that. Tim Burton did it pretty well, but it didn't have like the same over the topness that that Raimi brings. Like everybody else just kind of feels like a movie, but there's just something magical about Raimi's movies. Do we feel that Sin City is t- too stylized version of that because mm. I mean that Sin- feels straight out of the comic. You, you are you are right. Sin City though is trying to be a direct translation, whereas I think Spider Man, because of the nature of it, it's not exactly a finite story because there's so much to pull from. But Spider Man, um, it's. It's not exactly trying to recreate so much as recreate a, a general feel. I think Zack Snyder does a pretty good job in all the movies, all the comic book-based movies that he's done. Man of Steel. Um, Man Watchmen of- is the one that really, in my head, <clears throat> even though it was a shot-for-shot kind right. of thing, right. I still dug the way that he presented it. I'll watch that opening title sequence with uh, Times They Are Changing. I love that. I thought that was done really well. I would agree with that. Um, And and even in Man of Steel, Man of Steel felt like a completely different director, but no less in quality than like 300 or uh, Watchmen. I felt like he brought a a cinema, like a very artistic cinema. I don't even know what the word would be like. It's obviously cinema, but cinematic view. Like, the shots were very, very artistic, I felt. Whereas in Watchmen and 300, they were very comic booky, But in Man of Steel, they felt a little more sophisticated. Paul, you're awful quiet. I like watching superheroes beat up stuff. I can dig it. Spider-Man 3 has its moments. Because it was just on FX or something this past week. Side pop bits and pieces of it, and all the like, all this the like Venom looks really good. Not when it pulls back and you see Toe for Grace underneath, but mm-hmm. like all the like sticky, inky, like yeah. whatever it's like pulling itself up onto Peter, up onto Eddie Brock. You didn't think Venom looked good? Too skinny. I, I have a hard time with the entire movie. I I like Sam Raimi as a director. 
I like the Sandman. I like Tobey Maguire. But other than that, there's so much that I didn't, I just disliked about it. That all said, Spider-Man 2 is probably my favorite superhero movie to date. So Sam Raimi knew what he was doing when they let him make his movie and didn't cram a thousand villains and heroes into one film. I really regret that he never had the opportunity to write the ship with Spider-Man 4 because I think that he had proven his worth with 1 and 2 and clearly 3 was a misstep. But I think if they would have planned it out, like 3 and 4 would be side-by-side pieces and you don't have to cram Venom into 3. You have the space to tell that story. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, though? What... Three did get right. It got really right. I thought like the creation of Sandman was incredible. I, I love that. That was the best. Um, you know, it was cool when Doctor Octopus became Doctor Octopus. Particularly, like when he goes to the hospital and they're operating on him, and all of a sudden the, the arms come to life, and it turns into a horror movie for about two minutes. Uh, but when Sandman first becomes Sandman, you see him like trying to stand up and, and form himself. And then he sees that locket for his daughter and he goes to grab it and he can't form like a hand, a hand like a, a solid hand. Like it was almost emotional uh, and it was sand. That's the best cool. sequence is the best part of that movie. Yeah. There are other good parts, but that one's that's the best part of the movie. Yeah. I think all the the parts that stick out in my mind are all the bad parts. I'm going to have to watch it again. I watched bits and pieces of it this weekend because FX played every superhero movie it had in its arsenal. Yeah. I watched Ghost Rider 2, you know, like everything was on. I feel like I tend to be an apologist for these kind of universally panned movies like Spider-Man 3, That's Superman Returns. You want it? Episodes. But but I'm also willing to acknowledge the truly terrible ones like Daredevil or Ghost Rider or Punisher Warzone. Those or the, are all bad. Or Green Lantern. Green Lantern had more moments in it than Spider-Man 3, in my mm, opinion. I disagree with that. I disagree I, with that. I've seen them both about two times. So Yeah, I've, I, I think I've only seen Spider-Man 3 once the full way through and it it was i just couldn't do it it was funny because when spider-man 3 first came out i think ign was the first one to have the exclusive review for it and usually when somebody gets that first review before anybody else they're gonna stroke it pretty hard yeah so they're like it was exactly what it had to be you know it had a lot going on but it 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 nailed every step along the way. It was a great way to, you know, wrap up the series, blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, oh, my God. And then I saw it. I was like, ooh, I don't know. Yeah, don't it, know. it didn't handle all those heroes and villains very well. I think that Captain America did a way better job of a, you know, solo movie that had a whole bunch of pieces in it, a bunch of villains, a bunch of heroes, they handled those much better than uh, Spider-Man 3 did. I don't agree with that, but not many people will, That's will why be in my camp. Patron saint of shitty superhero movies. St. <laughs> Matthew. 
Patron saint of shitty superhero movies. <laughs> so that's what you've been reading, huh? The internet. The internet and uh No no no. I've I've read some comic books as well. I read Well, we'll get started with Ghost Rider. All new Ghost Rider. Number one. So it's a new kid. And only one issue's out yet, but there hasn't been any explanation as to what happened to the previous two versions of the character, right? Frankly, I did not read the previous version, so I don't know how those ended. Uh, But clearly in this issue, this new kid, his name is Robbie something, right? Robbie Reyes. Robbie Reyes. Nice white kid. Yeah. He is... We're colorblind here at the McSauce (laughs) comic book podcast. Can you hand me one of those white donuts? No, sorry, you eat it. You eat it, I'm not going to talk. Robbie Reyes. Robbie Reyes is our main hero, and we are introduced to his uh, heroism fairly early on in this issue as he it's established that he is some kind of caretaker for a dare I say retarded child in a he's wheelchair. He's not retarded, he's just handicapped, isn't he? I'm pretty sure he's retarded. The way the way that he was talking and the way that Robbie had to tell him oh no because no, he lives like in some kind of really bad slum and he's like whenever we hear the firecrackers outside uh, you know, that means we don't go outside, which are obviously gunshots. Does that kid turn into Mr. Fantastic at some point? It's a little... Because that's exa- a rubbery fucking arm. It's a little exaggerated. Everything about... I, I, I can see where you might get that he's handicapped mentally as well. We can say retarded... Just- here on the McSauce He is podcast. just, he's really getting into talking about this mac and cheese. I just took it as he's a, he's a young kid, so I think there's a debate here about whether he's retarded or not. Who I don't, book? Felipe Smith? I don't believe that he is just a kid. I got the sense huh? that he was a little special. Okay. Not, obviously... You don't know right away when you first see him. You're not real sure. But after closer inspection, after closer, uh, more time together, I think that his retardedness will become more and more apparent. Matt Cassell, patron saint of retardedness. Do you think at some point it's going to come out that this kid is actually some agent of hell? Sent to work with Ghost no. at some point? Because or, he is in a wheelchair. Deep, so. Because in this issue, Robbie Reyes does become the, the next spirit of vengeance. He becomes the ghost rider. Uh, and he no longer rides a motorcycle. He rides in some kind of souped-up muscle car um, that he was working on. He's like a mechanic. And... He was taking this car out for a street race in the in the comic book. And he has the street race against these other racers, but as he's racing, the cops show up, and now he's trying to outrun the cops, and he zigzags all through the city. And they did a very cool job of kind of showing how he navigated the city with kind of a top-down, like, digital map kind of thing. And... Um, he gets cornered. He, he ends up in a, in a dead-end alley, and he basically gets out of the car, and he surrenders, 
as the cops approach, shining their lights at him. Next thing you know, the cops open fire and kill him and leave him dead. And then they light him on fire. And then you're like, oh my god, these are not cops. They're like mercenary-looking characters. And so he burns... I was going to say burns alive, but he was already shot to death. But next thing you know, he comes back, and now he's the spirit of vengeance, and his car is now, you know, a, a flaming carriage of, of vengeance. Uh, now, the way I foresee uh, Robbie Reyes's foster child, or whatever his his friend is to him, I imagine that'll be his sidekick. And it'll get, like, flaming wheelchair wheels. And together, they'll ride around. Or maybe, maybe this. Maybe Robbie will graduate to a motorcycle and he'll get a sidecar for little... His little brother? For little special ghost rider. I, I don't know about all these things. That's a... Uh... But stretch. But what, okay, so the the story was fairly simple. There wasn't a whole lot to it yet. We don't exactly know what's going on. We don't know why he turned. But what we can take away is that the art was phenomenal. I think. Um, I think this was Trad Moore's best work. Trad Moore of Luther Strode fame. And uh, visually, I could not have been happier with it. I think they did an incredible job. One of the things in comic Except books... that arm. It's well, supposed to be it's that exactly. His, his, nothing else is that exactly. It, yes, it is. His movements no, are... I'm looking in, at it right now. Like, that not, not, not like a sore thumb. Not in there, but there's a lot of other overly exaggerated things. Like, this arm's pretty crazy looking. There's a lot of that stuff. It was on purpose. It's all over the place. His style is that. And... What what I think he was able to do successfully, as opposed to uh, other comic books, they were able to create a sense of speed and excitement with like car chases and things like that, which in comics usually aren't easy to do. They're not very interesting. That's why you don't really see car chases in comics very often. But I feel like if there was one guy that was up to the task, I feel like legitimately... Uh, Trad Moore is the guy. So this is the perfect art pairing as far as I'm concerned. So does Robbie Reyes purposefully dye that white streak in his hair, or is that natural? That's never explained. I don't think that it's I all that important to the character. I, I think it's a choice, an artistic choice. Well, I think it says a lot about the, the character if he's vain enough to purposefully dye a skunk streak in his hair. Well, don't they say that a lot of people get that skunk streak in real life when they, like, are frightened, stiff about something, or they encounter somebody, like, dead or something. A, lot a ghost. Of times it's just natural. It just grows that way. Right, but am I right in what I'm saying as well? I've heard that if you get hit by lightning, you could possibly have a white streak. In the movie The Sixth Sense, don't they try to explain that, like, white streak with. If you encounter like a ghost or something, you you that's, don't get that. I think that's Green Lantern that you're thinking of. Hmm. Okay. So maybe there's something to that that'll come into play later, being that this deals with dead people, heaven and hell, mainly hell. Um, I love the graphic design. I love the 
Did you buy the book, Sharpie? No, no I just have the uh, the digital copy. The uh, the book has like on the second page it, where it just says Ghost Rider. Um, what does it say? Engines of Vengeance. Engines of Vengeance Part 1. That was a double page spread. It looked so cool on just two pages spread like that. It was it was really cool graphic design. I love that that page right before it with the the odometer and everything and the the engines. It's I think it was a really well put together book. I was I couldn't have been more pleasantly surprised. Not surprised, but but my expectations were met. You were go- I was going to say you were going into this pretty excited about okay. it and thinking that it was going to be good. I didn't really know what to think of it. I'm not a huge Ghost Rider guy. I want to like him because he looks badass and all that stuff. But this version of Ghost Rider was, A, more likable than any other, any, you know, Danny Keach or Johnny Blaze that's out there. I really like Robbie Reyes. They, they told, in a short amount of time, a really great story about who he is and the kind of character that he has. He immediately shows his heroism by sticking up for his friend who's getting harassed by a bunch of thugs, and he comes to his rescue and basically takes on three guys by himself and ends up getting his ass kicked because one of them pulls a gun on him. But that also represents the neighborhood that he's coming from. So he's coming from a really rough area. He's still a... Is that what it was, East L.A.? It is East L.A. I yeah. like that. Uh, I mentioned this in my review. I like it. Yeah, is it? I like the fact that Marvel, while going for the diversity angle with their reboots of the all-new Ms. Marvel and, um, and this book as well, they didn't hit you over the head with Robbie Reyes and his ethnicity. It's just implied from the environment that he's in, just how he looks. It doesn't have to be every single other page is that you know he's a Hispanic character. And that's the mistake that Ms. Marvel made in, so far, two issues. You get clobbered to death with that. that this, is, this is, you know, her name's Kamala Khan. Don't, don't forget, don't forget. Where this was just trying to tell a good story about a new character and bring readers in. So, fairly glowing review for the all-new Ghost Rider number one. I assume you'll both be buying number two. I foresee I will be buying this title. Until Travelers done drawing it. As long as this creative team is on it and beyond, because I like the character. I like the the hero. You know, when he's 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 Ghost Rider for a second, and he does nothing as Ghost Rider, and he is Robbie Reyes in this book, and he very quickly establishes himself as a very very likable character. <clears throat> oh, you got a big old stack of books over there. Well, what have you been reading, sir? Uh, what I burned through in about three days was the first three volumes of Lock and Key. And I've, I've been staying away from Lock and Key. I've heard so many good things about it. I'm just like, yeah, I'll get to it eventually. Written by Joe Hill, son of Stephen King. And big Stephen King guy. But I'm like, eh, get to it. Get to it eventually. I didn't get in on the ground floor, so I think they're up. I think it's over now. It is over now. Is it six... Trade paperbacks? Yes. So I figure now that now that it's all done, um, our good friend Darcy had the first three trades, so 
while I saw them, it, uh, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give these guys a go. I want to check these out. Now, the story's done. I can just rip right through it. But I only read the first three, and now I am climbing out of my skin to get four, five, and six. Wow. Because this story was so freaking good. Met all of my all of my comic book reading requirements. Mm-hmm. Spooky stuff, horror stuff. Um, the art was a little ugly. You didn't uh, like the art. Gabriel, I liked it. Gabriel, well, Gabriel Rodriguez doesn't draw pretty people. He doesn't draw attractive characters. It's not to the point like Paul Pope, yeah. where Paul Pope just draws fucking buttholes on everyone's shoulders. <laughs> yeah, I, I disagree with that. I mean. I, I don't think that it was, you know, Frank Whiteley. Well, he frequently does the. This chick's really. I'm drawing her really ugly, but she's so hot. I'd say that uh, Gabriel Rodriguez does very androgynous women. Yes. And I'll give you that. I mean, that's no, the gym none. Teacher of, looks like a man. None of the women are sexy. They're very. Uh, they're they're just women. You guys talk. I'm gonna look up the word androgynous. Kinsey Locke is sexy for maybe two pages because <laughs> when she starts the book, well, that's your weird hair got, thing that got you got going dirty on. Dirty growth dreadlocks, yeah. and then they move to a new town, new start after their dad gets killed. She straightens her hair. <laughs> she looks all pretty and beautiful. And then she's like, "Fuck this! I'm being me. I'm not hiding anymore because gotcha. I'm ashamed of what happened to me." And then she cuts it all off, and she puts a weird green streak in this it. Is, and there she has, like, a weird Padawan braid. This has more side. to do with your hair fetish than anything else. Your straight, long Ooh. hair fetish. Doesn't have to do with the quality of art in this book no, the, the art, whatsoever. Besides him drawing, you know, kind of masculine women, uh, the art the art was really good. And the, the art in the story... Or androgynous. Or androgynous. The art in the story just what that so means. Well. I found out. Did Did you like that? You know what that means. So. And what it, what the story is is um, this family lives out on the west coast. Um, they're from They're from back in uh, Maine. Yeah, Maine. Um, at some point, the family moves out to the west coast where we picked them up at, and there's a home invasion, and their dad gets killed, their mother gets raped. Oh, that's heavy. It's a there's some fucked up shit in this book. This is not a this is not a kids the kids read. It appears like it's a mature title. The artwork makes it feel a little all ages. Yeah, it is at an first all ages. at first blush. Um, yeah, so there's home invasion. Their dad gets killed, and uh, the guy that the kid that kills him is looking. His, you find out later he's been sent there by this spirit that lives in this house that their dad grew up in. So they wind up moving back. They take get a fresh start. They move back to the old house that, that their dad grew up in called, called Key House in Maine. And hidden all throughout the house are these different keys, and each key does a different thing. And I think they say in the beginning there's how many keys there are, but I forget. One for each trade paperback. But by the time, well, by the time you get through the first three trades... You've already come across like six keys, and they chronicle at the. I don't know if they um, do it in those earlier issues, but they chronicle 
what each key does at the end of the book in like a appendix appendix kind of thing where it kind of shows you like this key does this yeah and has back in the story. back in the 1700s when the keys were were forged during yeah. the, Re- the revolutionary war um, you know they give you a little bit about like how each key was forged and what it does and you know why it was forged at that time and they the, the house and the keys have been passed down through through the family through all, all these generations but there's a malevolent spirit that lives in the house that needs one of these keys called the Omega key. And it's this big black key that has that has the Omega symbol on it, but no one up to where I read it at, and Ian don't spoil this. Oh. No one knows no one knows what it does yet. I'm not you, I don't spoil things for other people. Yeah. Even though people know shit. People know shit. <clears throat> um, one so, thing about the keys is that um, the kind of magic that's involved with them, only children can really harness as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, adults adults can't see can't see what's happening. I think that's it's it's a pretty neat little I don't wanna call it a trope, but maybe it is, because I feel like I've seen stories I've seen or read stories before where like only the kids pick up on that stuff because like uh, like you know, Peter Pan gets to a point where adults just don't don't believe in that stuff. Yeah. Or like um Narnia, you get to a certain age and you're not allowed to go to heaven. That's what it reminded me of, is uh, Narnia a little bit. Yeah, but like the the way the keys are handled, um, before I read it, you know, I knew the basic gist. It's key house, and you know, you use all these keys. And the I thought it was the the rooms in the house did different things, but it's actually the keys that, that do different things. They they do wildly, you know, each each key does something wild, wildly different. Like one key, you use it in a certain door in the house, and when you go through the door you turn into a ghost. Your body just crumbles on the floor and you become a ghost. And you're locked on that property, but you can go anywhere you want on this, you know, huge piece of land that this family has. Another key is the head key. And I guess, um, I thought it was whoever was holding it. You got the, the, um, eye in the back of your head and you physically like put the key in the back of your head turn it and it opens up your brain and you can look in your head as well because they have that where people are pulling things out of their own memories and getting rid of um, yeah and you can like physically reach inside your own head and it's the way it's drawn is great because it's like your own little landscape of how how you view things and like one person in someone's head may look different in someone else's head just based on perspective but like you can go in and like pull out your fear so you're just not afraid anymore. You can squeeze a book in your head and you'll immediately gain all, all that knowledge. And then there's the the giant key, which is this huge wooden key in the floor of the house. You pick it up and put it through a window and you become like four stories and physically turn into a giant. And when that happened, I was like, all right, well, this is like some some metaphorical thing until he walks past like a neighbor's house and a kid in the house sees this gigantic person outside. But it's just so crazy and so imaginative. Like, um, really, really blew me away. I'm absolutely hooked. So I I think this will be my next hardback purchase. I'm going to wrap up the whole series. But I need to finish buying the Why the Last Man hardbacks first. So you're going to get the whole run in hardback? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm only halfway through, but 
think I'm pretty confident saying like this will probably go up with Preacher and Why the Last Man. Well, you haven't purchased any of them yet, right? No, nah, I only borrowed the first the first three, but I like the first three enough that like as soon as I read the first one, I was like, yeah. And they come we're, with we're that. Doing this. The hardbacks come with that little string for the bookmark. Classy. They do. I might actually go out and buy the hardbacks now. I purchased them on Comixology, uh, blew through them all, whenever. And I, the first five were out, and I got to. I thought that the story was finished, and I got to the fifth book, and I get to the end, and I'm like, ah! I go to Wikipedia, and I see that there was a sixth book, and it's just not out yet, and I had to wait. I mean, you know, maybe maybe a couple of months or something like that. But still, I was hooked, just like you are. And I needed to I needed to find out what happened with the fucking Omega Key, and I needed to get to the end of the story. But um, I liked it so much, I think I also will buy yeah, it on the hardback. Like, there's some some dark dark shit in there, some fucked up shit. But it's such a such an imaginative story. It's unlike anything else that's <laughs> you know that, that's out there. And it's cool reading Joe Hill because I've read so much Stephen King. You see a little little quirks in his writing that are. They're like his dad. Mm-hmm. You know, Stephen King always, you know, always puts in like some kind of some kind of lyrics from some song. Like, there's always some kind of music thing going on. So you said that it's not really like anything out there. But if you were going to tell somebody, if you're going to recommend it to somebody and say, "Hey, if you like whatever, you will probably like Lock and Key." You can't do that. Um, I would. I I couldn't recommend it on the basis of what this story is like, mm-hmm. but based on tone, it's it has that like adult tone, like something like Saga or Preacher, mm-hmm. like something that you know, like you said, it might look like it's all ages, but it really isn't. Preacher never looked all ages. All right, all right. I'll, I'll give that to you. And it always is nice to recommend something, I think, that has a beginning and an end. Some people that you talk to, whether it be book series or comic books, they get all squirrely whenever you're like, well, it's still going. What do you mean? I I don't know the end of this. This doesn't finish. They feel... I never have that problem, but people feel kind of unsatisfied sometimes whenever it doesn't have a... They don't give a shit about an ending. All they care about is, ooh, new number one. (laughs) Right, Marvel? Yeah, so, and Matt, you haven't read any of Lock and Key, right? No. I think you'd really enjoy it. I, it's definitely one of the ones that I want to get to. Yeah, I put it off for a while just because I was pretty much lazy. I'd, I'd get to it eventually. There's so it was already many in the things. Middle of the run and everything. There's, yeah, there's, there's so much out there. There's just so much out there, and there's new shit every single week. It's so hard to, because, like, I want to read real books, too, and when the hell do I do that? Never. But yet, I have like a, a list, a, a huge list of real books I want to read. I've given up on trying to read real books. I just do that. Uh, Audible.com. Yeah. I'll listen to my books. If I'm driving, if I'm sitting around, if I'm doing chores, Audible.com. I find that I do more podcasts when I'm driving. Yeah. And I can't focus enough at work to do an audio book. Like, every once in a while, if you're doing something mundane enough at work, you can you can do that and escape and, and just do it. But if you have to really, like, write an email or think about what you're doing, 
Forget it. No way. Yeah, I don't like listening to podcasts at work. Right. I don't have the option to listen to podcasts at work, so. My my podcast listening happens when I'm when I'm making strips, when I can just sit down, yeah. just get to drawing, get to, you know, color and putting the strip together. That's, yeah. that's the best time I can listen to it, because then I can, I can really focus on it. Driving, but, walking the dog, going to the gym, and... Running, that's whenever I'm doing my I'll try to work, but then I'm like, then I, I do something, I'm like, fuck, did I miss that? Wait, what do you Exactly. Saying? That I'm happens way too often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the, uh, <clears throat> the thing with books, though, whenever I do find the opportunity to escape into a book, and, and you, even more than a comic book, because you're, you're creating it with your own imagination, you know, you're, fi- you're filling in so many visual gaps that, that, don't exist because it's just words on a page. It's always such an incredibly rewarding experience that I almost forget because I read real books so infrequently. Yeah. So when I do do it, it's like almost like magic. I've been listening to a podcast series that's basically an audio book. It's called uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Um, I enjoy history a lot. I think it's fascinating. And I've been listening to a lot of World War One stuff mm. lately. It's, uh, World War One was a real crazy time in you know military history because you still had a lot of holdover from the old Napoleonic days m- coming smack into machine guns and tanks and how people dealt with that stuff. And on Hardcore History, Dan Carlin really um, paints a very vivid picture of a lot of the different eras in history and warfare. Uh-huh. Uh, so I've, I've been doing that. I've been listening to World War One audiobooks. Let me, let me chug this beer so this so, gets interesting for me. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's what I've been... I've, I've been reading, you know, The War That Ended Peace, listening to that. Is that World War One? It's a World War One. Highly underrated war. The sequel gets all the publicity. They got the great logos, the crazy villains, all <laughs> that shit. But World War One. It's really good. That's a good origin story. Uh, I'm going to quiz you. How did World War One start? Uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. Rand? Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Yeah, the band. Franz yeah, Ferdinand. yeah, right? The band. Yeah, that's how I knew of the him. The band was assassinated? The band was killed. Huh. He was assassinated. Uh, um, no, I won't be leaving here. Isn't that them? Uh, that or, uh, take me out. No, 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 no. no. That, that's both of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes. But, uh, yeah, he was assassinated JFK style, which started a domino effect against all the uh, different European nations that were allied. So mm-hmm. that's how World War One started. Sometimes I wonder if, uh, like, if something like that could catapult the world into another world war, like an assassination of a major elite, like... What we were just talking about, if if Russia invaded any country that has NATO ties, America, by you know contract or obligation, would have to defend it as if that was happening to U.S. soil. That's that's why it's such a big deal if they if it was the Ukraine or Latvia, because we would have to defend it like that was fucking Hawaii or Wyoming. So after we get involved in this war, Paul, would you? <laughs> are you gonna? Are you gonna have any interest in it then? 
to fucking shoot myself. <laughs> Do you think after we get involved in the war and, like, let's say we win the war, could we just make Latvia the 51st state? It's like, yeah, we fought for you. Now you're ours. Could be. I mean, this you, podcast brought to you by politics. Hey, we didn't take sides. Politics and I history. suppose it's, it's world events. World, world events. As opposed to politics. Very, uh, very astute of you to to know the origins of World War One. I. I don't you. feel that's so, common knowledge. I don't think it is either, because people, like I said before, people like the Deuce. They tend to they tend to focus on the sequel, and I can't blame them. It was great. It has great villains, different story, more accessible story. I think it's, well, it's real easy. Nazis Nazis are evil. Go beat them. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas World yeah, there War was I an, had a lot a of different more gray area stuff going on, yes. And not only that, but it's a little bit more of a European story, because the United States didn't get involved until, what, the last year or so of that war. Yeah, that's right. And it was essentially, it, it was, it was, and it ended on a cliffhanger. The uh, Germans were still kind of fighting and winning battles, and they, they just decided to... They decided to call call a truce. So, why did they do that? Ah, uh, I don't think that that was right. You know, the American side came in, and uh, I don't think that they the higher ups in the German command didn't think that they could win this war. But the soldiers that were on the on the battlefields saw all these victories and how powerful their army was. Um, it was the best army in the world at that time, and mm-hmm. it was laying waste to all these other armies. And um, just politically, they they felt that they needed to end it, and they were given in the treaty that they were given, uh, they were really harsh terms, limiting their army and and uh, their military force and the things that Germany could do. And that kind of Paul uh, is officially asleep, I know. and that led into World War II because of all the hurt feelings. Right, yeah, Hitler was very pissed off. He was very pissed off. And hence, you have ultimate evil. That's how you create ultimate evil. By getting all the Infinity Gems together. Is that all what happened? If, if only it was that, huh? So. I, I think I would, if, if that really happened, I still probably wouldn't be interested. Because it's it, it, it would then be reality. And it would just on, a, on a side note... <clears throat> Would anybody like to take a stab at what they think Captain America 2 made at the box office this 96, weekend? Uh, worldwide or... I don't US. know if it's worldwide. Worldwide, it's $303 million, And the U.S. box office was 96 Well, right? it was a hell of a guess, um, but it was actually 95 <laughs> You fucking dick. So clearly you read this earlier. I did read this earlier, <laughs> and it is in my show prep, so... I have ninety six point two domestically. It says ninety five oh two three seven two one. The uh, really important thing is that it broke the record for this month, um, previously held by Fast Five in two thousand eleven, and I think that this is a signal that <clears throat> consumers' appetite for comic book movies and superheroes. Is is still very high, and that this can only get people excited for Spider Man Two and X Men, and ignore Godzilla. 
So, Ian, did you read anything since last we spoke about uh, comic books? I read Ghost Rider. I read Lock and Key. I read, um, I'm trying to think of something I, that, uh, that I liked a lot. I read Silver Surfer. Um, Let's talk about it. I read it, too. Did you? All right, then we can talk about it. Paul, you read it. No. Okay. No. I thought you liked space shit. Um, yeah, I, I do like space shit. I was <coughs> not interested in Silver Surfer, though. Silver Surfer in general is the character or this kind of very different looking take on Silver Surfer? Well, I'm not a big fan of Mike Allred's artwork. I know you love it, but there's something about it. It's just like too indie for me. It just doesn't look like... It sounds ridiculous to say, but it doesn't feel like comic book art to me. It feels like it feels like indie schlock. And I understand <coughs> technically how good it is. I understand why people like it. And I can say that it's good art. Why do people I like just, it? I, yeah, I just don't like no, it. No, no, no. You see, you, I can see... I understand why people like it. Why do people like it? What is, what is it about it? Well, you tell me what... No, you just said, I know why people like it. Because people like that style of artwork. People, it, like, it's it's well-drawn. All the figures, you know, are... All the figures are, are well-drawn. Okay. Everything what? proportionate. It has, you know... It's... Good, it's just the style, I don't like it. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of an, a very contemporary uh, Steve Ditko. Little bit stiff, very retro, but, but more refined and polished, mixed with you know today's coloring techniques and, and, and page layouts and dynamism, if you will. I feel like that's basically what you get you get this incredible blend of the new and the old and also with a healthy dose of insanity which this new silver surfer has quite a bit of sharply i yeah it's pretty insane it didn't really grab me i thought i was going to really like it Coming right off Ghost Rider, I jumped right into Silver Surfer. And I did it. the same thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, maybe it's it's my space comic book uh, <clears throat> allergy that I have, but I, I just didn't really enjoy it, it all that much. Um, I think I like Michael Red doing indie stuff. I think I like him doing iZombie. The same artist, two different books, loved iZombie. Silver Surfer, just not, just not thrilled. Maybe I need my superhero comics to look like superheroes. This just doesn't feel that way to me. It just doesn't. And I know it's the traditional retro feel of what it looked like in the '60s. I, it, I just didn't really enjoy it all that much. No. So what about the story? No, uh, it was a little, a little confusing. Uh, I, I guess we're going to this. Empiricon planet where we're capturing beings and putting them in a shoebox kind of thing here. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I just didn't, I wasn't so into it. There is essentially with these titties at Empiricon a ruler, right? And his name was Zed. Three mouth. Three mouth. Zed. Two mouth. Two mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two. <clears throat> Three eye, two Three mouth. Three eye, two mouth. 
His name's Zed. Zed has been essentially recruiting uh, what he has deemed the greatest warriors that he can find to go up against a a being of vast power. Is this what's going on here? I'm glad you're telling me because I didn't. Think that. <laughs> um, I forget what the what the villain's name is that they're trying to. Battle Jack of Jackstar 9. No, no, no. He was no? one of the, the heroes that was recruited by Zed to go fight against this evil. So basically what Zed is doing, though, is he finds the the person or the thing that the potential hero desires more than anything in the world. or ha- Or has, I don't know about desire, but has more means more to them than anything in the world. And they essentially hold that thing or person uh, at ransom. As ran- at ransom? For ransom? For, For ransom. For ransom. And uh, basically, this whole story is Silver Surfer getting recruited to go and be the champion for the Imperium. And as it turns out, there's this parallel story that's taking place on Earth with this girl and her twin sister and her dad that run this mom-and-pop bed-and-breakfast kind of thing, like in Maine or something. And as it turns out, this girl ends up being the, the ransom for Silver Surfer. And... He's like, because he was like, well, who did you, did you take my girlfriend and did you take this person, that person? And Zed's like, no, we took this girl. And he's like, I've never seen that person before in my life. And that's how the issue ends. So obviously there is a lot that they're going to have to explain how this girl relates to Silver Surfer. Um, But we really don't know at this time, but... What a wacky issue. It, it it was truly nuts, but... I can honestly say, I read this, I tuned the fuck out as I read it. I... I didn't... I made... I, I don't know. I didn't follow along with any of it. It was just fucking crazy. Did anything that I just said ring a bell? I was like, oh, I think I remember a bed and breakfast. Your explanation was better than me reading it. So... I don't really know what to expect at this point. They don't do a very good job of kind of giving you an idea of who the Silver Surfer is. You know, they talk about how he used to be a herald to a planet-eating monster and how he, um, you know, has since changed his ways. But at the same time, you know, he still has these feelings of guilt because of how many billions of lives he had cost, even though he's saved countless billions since. Um, but they just, they don't get into the core of the character. Again, this is so much about this wacky fucking plot that... Is this current continuity? I guess. From what I understand, yeah. I guess. That's the thing. Like, I didn't, I didn't really gather anything about the Silver Surfer in Mm -hmm. this book. And that's what I was looking for is maybe to see what this version was going to be like or it, personality or anything like that you didn't get fuck any any of that stuff no it seemed very much like Dan Slott the Spider-Man writer who was also writing this just tried to think of the most insane shit he could think of 
for Mike Allred to draw. He's like, well, Mike Allred's my artist, so I think I'm going to write the most fucked up thing I can possibly think of. You know, that's and exactly that's what you why got. I fucking hated this, because I hate Dan Slott. You didn't realize it? No, I didn't. Look at how, like, annoyed he is now. So pissed off. Now, looking this at this art, and, and taking into consideration my comparison to, like, Steve Ditko, if you could keep him on a fairly tight leash... Would Mike Allred not be a great Spider-Man artist? He doesn't have to be the Spider-Man artist. Bring uh, back three or four Spidey books instead of just one every, you know, three times a week. Put him on Web of Spider-Man. I feel like we've had a version of this recently on Spider-Man. I don't remember the artist's name, but there was a period of time where they were drawing Peter Parker especially and more of an old timey, like he. Yeah, they did that more for that gauntlet storyline. That's it. Whoever was the artist on that, I that felt was, like that was even closer to like uh, Steve Ditko. Yeah. Without having much of a contemporary feel to it, I hated it. Yeah. I felt like it was so out of place. I I can get behind Mike Allred if he's on something that more. In my mind's eye suits what I expect out of it, that indie feel. I liked, um, what was it, X-Force when he drew that. And it was that super fucking wacky, ecstatic version of X-Force. I mean got, F- FF? No, no, no. This is back in the, is it the late 90s ecstatic? I don't Do you remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked that. I was yeah. okay with that. Yeah. Matt, who do you say is your favorite Silver Surfer artist? Uh, Ron, Ron probably Lim. Ron Lim. Yeah. So, I would prefer Mike Allred to make Silver Surfer look more silvery. Yeah, he he is just kind of milky looking. Yeah, he's the like milky surfer and a white jumpsuit surfer. Yeah, I like the milky surfer. Yeah, I'd, I'd prefer him to, to look a little more shiny and silvery. But. I mean, there have been some good ones, uh, you know, across almost between Ron Lim and Mike Allred would be Ron Garney's version, which had a little more shine than, than the Milky Surfer, but not quite the, the level of polish that the Ron Lim version had. Mm-hmm. Ron Lim, it's got that real 90s aesthetic to it. Look at all those shines. <laughs> but I always enjoyed it. It had a real he- heroic and action-oriented feel to it. And that's what I want. I mean, this I'd say that Silver Surfer in the uh, early 90s, mid-90s, was probably the space book that I read the most. Well, his, I mean, his tie to the Infinity Gauntlet was, you know, like that's when I first started reading Silver Surfer, when the Infinity Gauntlet was first coming around. I would make sure I picked up all the... It was in the snipe in the top right-hand corner, an Infinity Gauntlet crossover. And if it said that, I bought it. And that's when I became a huge Silver Surfer fan. And uh, it... You know, they were accessible stories. They weren't so far out there that you couldn't really get them. And he was such a cool character because you you really got the sense of his almost limitless power. Um, but he was going up against beings that, that could withstand his power. Um, and then I feel like they've done so many iterations of him in the 2000s that have just completely fallen flat. 
Uh, I know I mentioned it before. There was an artist or writer, or maybe both, named Milks, M-I-L-X, who I don't believe is working in comics. Either that or he dropped that ridiculous fucking name. I don't know. Milks. I think I've always <clears> had <throat> a problem. Um, I've always had a problem with Silver Surfer because it's such an Earth-type thing. Mm-hmm. Like, So there's like some universe-spanning being out there, and he's on a surfboard. Well, isn't that like a biblical thing, a lonely silver surfer? You know where that comes from? I don't know. You have a problem with the surfboard? Yeah. Doesn't it pertain uh, to like... It just seems like too much of a... Like an earth Like an earth thing. creation thing. Like... And I, I, I mean, it's I'm, just, it, and it really can just be a plank that he travels on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and I'm sure if, you know, and like, I get that. And I get, you know, and like, I like the way he was handled in Fantastic Four 2. And like, he kind of, he can like go through with the board and stuff. And it's yeah. kind of part of him. Yeah, I like that too. And if that laptop taken off to the stars. Yeah. Like, uh, I understand that it's... mission to go find... That it's Silver Surfer, Surfer showed up. And we saw that, we'd be like, oh, well, he's clearly surfing. Because that's what it looks like. You just but hate the surfing dynamic of it all. It just seems like a, an, an Earth thing. Yeah. Like, I, I, I almost feel the same way about Rocket Raccoon. Like, it's a raccoon. Like, we couldn't make just make him a fucking alien or something? You know, I don't know where the hell I got that, but there's, there is a song, a Bruce Dickinson song, called The Dark Side of Aquarius, and in it, there's, I don't even know what these fucking lyrics mean, but I always thought it was cool, because um, it's talking about the Hell Riders, how they've come to Earth, they're talking about them, and then, That's what I look here for, come the riders, the riders, as the Wheel Fire. of Dharma is running out of time, Fuck and then, that wheel of Dharma, and then it goes, from the starlit sky on a silver sea, a lonely silver surfer comes to push the wheel for me. And I don't even know what that is, but you it was You originally cool compared verse. this to the Bible, and you're like, wait, no. Well, because it talks about the, the apocalypse and the four horsemen. Is that in the Bible? The, the horsemen, or yes. no? Is it? it? Is? Yes. I, I know the apocalypse is. is. Four, the four horsemen apocalypse and the apocalypse are part of... That's in a so that is the, the the faction of history you do know the book of Revelation, but not World War One. Yeah, because like that's fictional shit. Down <laughs> <laughs> with that controversy. <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought to you by religion, <laughs> politics, and religion. religion. <laughs> so Silver Surfer fail. Fail for me because well, I couldn't even. Two. No, I couldn't even keep it together to give it a proper review. Dude, I knew much more. I didn't know what fucking happened. I knew way more about the are books we, you guys had. Are we mind. gonna? Do we rate our books anymore? Like, let's or, not rate. Let's not. Because we rate movies. Why not? Can we give it a pass fail or or wait? How about this? Why don't we give it a? You know, you would re- you would recommend it to somebody or you wouldn't. Only pass fail. Pass fail. Okay, Silver Surfer for me fail. Matt. For me, pass, because I'm going to get the next one. Uh, it passes on the strength of the artwork alone. Matt Casal, resident art guy. Well, I also bought a number one... Silver Sir? ...this oh. past week. What is that? Aquaman and the Others. <laughs> Ew. I didn't even know that was real. <laughs> 
the the title The Others is just like they would not figure out a good name for these guys. It was like they had to go to print. They're like, we don't know what to call it. Just call it The Others. Or or just put type in The Others there. That's enough. You know, yeah. just to hold the place, and then before we go to print, we'll change that title. Uh, I was, I was, oh writing, no! I was writing the, the review and ran into the problem because, like, I was, I was, I, I wanted to say, like, well, there's, there's, then this character goes and meets the others, but I had to reword it because it sounded like the others proper now. So, but this is Jeff Johns' created team. And based on the strength of the regular Aquaman book, DC decided, we're going to give Aquaman two books. And I guess enough people liked... Usually not a good idea. Well, I don't think a lot of books that DC puts out are good ideas. Yeah, Aquaman, you know, was a book that was a laughing stock up until two years ago when they relaunched uh, the New 52. And I almost feel like, you know what, don't, don't... Overdo it. You've been lucky enough that Aquaman is no longer the punchline right. to jokes. Right. And now, but they're they're pushing it. And I'm, <clears> as <throat> soon as they announced it, I thought that's a bad idea. Why would they do that? And You're, yet they're, there's don't, Paul don't at the comic shop buying it day one. Um, written by your buddy, Dan Jurgens. Ooh. And uh, drawn by <clears throat> Lan Medina. And the, the other. Funky Cole Medina's <laughs> brother. <laughs> The others are a team that a loose team that Aquaman ran with before he joined the Justice League. Before he joined that other team. Yeah, so like back when Aquaman had like his wide collar and his puka shells and his long glee hair. You know, before he tightened tightened it all up, he was running with, with the others. Back in his college days. Running and the way the they're other. like the way they were written in and the the Aquaman book was cool. Yeah, it was a cool character. It was, it was cool, cool for a, about one arc, right? And I thought, you know what, that should probably be it. They're part of Aquaman's past, and you know maybe they pop up every so often. And, you know that's fine. I don't think they needed their own book, but yes, I bought it. <laughs> Did you like it? I feel yeah, like everybody I, that bought that book probably thought. I don't really want to buy this, but they did any. They they bought it reluctantly. Well, there there were there were three <clears throat> books that came out last week. Green Lantern, fell. Um, Aquaman and the that's others. That's the end of that review. Yeah, it, it, that's that's all it needs. Aquaman and the others, number one, and Francis Manipul and Brian Bucciolato's Detective, number one. Mm-hmm. And between Aquaman and Detective Comics, like I went in expecting Detective Comics to blow my mind, and it kind of didn't. And I expected Aquaman to be like, meh, okay. But Aquaman and the others was it was pretty good. The art the art in it was was really solid. They do a really good job getting you up to speed right away. Um, the the others shtick is that at some point, you know, back in the day when Aquaman was was running with his team, each one of them has an Atlantean artifact. And I guess during his, his early career, like he must have like bestowed these artifacts on these on this this group of guys and two girls and each artifact does a different thing like each each one has kind of different different powers for the user so in the beginning of this book they go through you meet each one of the others and they're in, you know some kind of adventure on their own and the 
power from these artifacts starts dropping out. Like the you know the power starts kind of flickering on them. So by the end, they decide you know we better all get together and find out what's going on with this shit. And um, that was a good read. That was cool. I'm looking forward to to, to picking up number two. I don't mean to like talk shit on the book that you like, but as I was looking through it, the thing that really stopped and got my attention was this lemony snicket ad. <laughs> it's kind of a cool looking ad. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I don't know how long it's it's gonna last. Are you gonna recommend it? Yeah, I give it a pass. Um, I don't know how how long it'll last. Like, is that, I'm, if I'm we shocked that Talon is still around and Red Hood and the Outlaws. So no reason. Well, if if Dan Jurgens and Land Medina, like I don't know much about Land Medina. I don't know what his monthly schedule is like, but. Like, with the two of them on this first issue, it was a really solid first issue all around. Writing, art, solid book. But if Medina starts dropping off and they start throwing fill-ins, I think, the, like, I will immediately start giving it a failing grade. But so far, so good. We're in a good place with mm-hmm. Aquaman and the others. And I had low expectations for it, which I think kind of helped. Right. Helped me appreciate it a little bit more. You want to read that? <clears throat> No, son. No. Not even a little bit. Not at all. It's not a Marvel book, is it? True. When does that hold me to read only Marvel books? What was the other two books you read earlier? I read those, but I I read Lock and Key as well. I like just getting them riled up. I read Detective Comics, too. Hey, do you buy books anymore? Everything's digital. Well, I I missed uh, going to the... Or, I, you know what? We were leaving, and I was like, shit, I wanted to get that. Um, so I just decided to buy Beauty it. Beauty of digital comics. You don't have yeah. to turn that car around and go back in and be like, oh, I forgot. That's true. But the one thing that I'm upset about is I don't know. I bought... I have all the lock and keys, and I purchased them through Comixology, I'm not sure why it's not letting me bring them up on my app here. It's telling me that I only have one of them. So I'm a little concerned about that. Do you – did you buy the individual issues rather? No, I bought the trades, but I bought one through five on my other device. Oh, boy. It shouldn't affect – I know. Restore purchases me. or something like that? What's that? Go to restore purchases. Yeah, I might have to do that. Usually what, what it does is it will bring up like – that you can read it or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll have to take a look at okay. it. But I wanted to... Uh, if you even message them and be like, well, I know I bought this, they'll probably just give it to you. Yeah, I mean, even I'm if sure... if you I, didn't, yeah, you know, I, I'm sure I can even look and check it out. But, I mean, honestly, that's my preferred method to read comic books anymore. Yeah. I know it's, it's you know, going against uh, you know, brick-and-mortar stores and everything. But I knew that Ghost Rider came out, and I specifically bought it on the iPad because I wanted to see the backlit. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to zoom in and see how the I, guided view was going to take me along. So I read portions of both Ghost Rider and Silver Surfer on my phone. Oh, did you really? Because I bought the actual books, but I redeemed the code that it comes with. And, um, and so... Once I had it digitally, I, I could read it wherever I wanted, Paul. That's, that's true. That is the beauty of it. So anyway, it looks like mm. both of you guys read some detective number... 30. 30. Number 30. With art by... 
Art by Francis Man- Art and Story by Francis Manipole and Brian Bouchelard. And and this is a Batman that we had been very eagerly anticipating. I believe all three of us were all three of us fans of this guy's artwork from the flat no, sharply is that Not really. I mean, pr- maybe not as much as you guys. I wasn't blown away with the Flash. I dropped the Flash maybe after the second issue. Um so well, I was the story just- was kind of crappy, but I, I didn't like it. I just right, did. The art, the art was good, but it wasn't good enough to hold me. Um, me either. To that that book, but Paul's glowing review of the Flash and the story and his continued, um, you know, following along with the artwork, I thought that I'd give this book a shot and see how it was. I also picked this book up, but I did not read it yet. Um, so if you would be kind enough to, to completely spoil it, okay. Um, but, everything but I, about the run on Flash was I, I thought was amazing. It was one of the best books of the new Fifty Two. They're both off of it now. It's a new creative team, and mm-hmm. I won't be I won't be buying it anymore. I really like the <clears throat> watercolor kind of art in this book. I, th- I think it's different. It's not your classic um, thick black outline, but it still reads as a superhero story. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, yeah, the artwork is. Is top notch. You know, I, I made a note in my review that like I like this better than what Greg Capullo is doing yeah. right now on on Batman. And wow. Part of that may part of that may be because I'm kind of tired of Zero Year. Uh, I think some of it is definitely the way they're coloring Zero Year now. That they're using a lot of pastels and a lot of you know just washes instead of more detailed realistic coloring. Uh, but yeah, the you know I've since their um, since their run on Superboy with Jeff Johns years ago, pre New Fifty Two, I was a big a big fan of Manipals. So as soon as I saw this team was on Detective Comics, I was like, I'm in. I haven't bought Detective Comics since the New Fifty Two started. Um, you didn't get it when uh, Tony Daniel was doing it. I didn't it? get any of it. This is my first issue. Of started Detective. out so good, and it went in the crapper so fast. I got the first arc, and I think by issue number five or six, yeah. I was done. Yeah, it, but the first, especially that first issue. Oh yeah, you were just like, oh my god! Right there, Joker Joker's cuts face. his face off and hangs it on the wall. Holy shit! One of the, yeah. I mean, really, mm. one of the classic moments in comic books. The art, the art in this book was gripping right away, but the story just... And I understand it's a first issue and it's a setup issue, but the story just left me kind of... Oh, all right, I guess, I guess we'll see where this goes from here. It wasn't really gripping at all. Like, I thought the Aquaman and the other story was way more interesting right out of the gate. But this kind of feels like something we've seen from Batman before. Um, someone... You know, this if someone wants to rebuild a shitty part of Gotham. Uh, you know, they want to put like uh, like deluxe condominiums. No, they want to put like free med expresses in. Like, yeah, they want to they want to build it up for like free healthcare and stuff like that. And they need Bruce Wayne's help, and then um, then some drama happens. You know, because of that, we don't know exactly why just yet, but it. The story wasn't groundbreaking at all, but it seemed it's, it seemed like I, I've been there before. And I first issue, I expect more from these guys. They did 
amazing work on the Flash. So I think it didn't help it because there wasn't any kind of big villain that you ran into, so it didn't have that punch. Yeah, they're introducing some some new characters. There's these these um this uh, biker gang in there. There's the Squid, who's apparently a, a newly new created guy. That's some guy that owns a some gangster that owns a giant squid that he feeds people to. So you know, has potential to get going, and it was a gorgeous book, beautiful book. But um, that left me wanting a little bit more. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna dispute you. On it being a gorgeous book. Oh, of course you are. Well, this is the first time that I've really stopped and, and absorbed the art because I thumbed through it very, very quickly at the shop. Uh, I I feel like I've seen a lot better from Manipul before. I think his stuff on Flash was substantially better. I don't know if that's because of the coloring necessarily, but like I feel like outside of that first splash that double page splash after the first page, so pages two and three, that is magnificent. Like, that, that is top-notch comic book artwork. Nothing is in, in the same league as that after, after that splash. I feel like it's all fairly pedestrian. I um, think that's a ridiculous thing, calling any of that artwork pedestrian. Pedestrian, if you called Lan Medina's work pedestrian, I would have said, okay, that's that's your basic comic book artwork. It's but just, there's nothing pedestrian about that book. I'm, I don't know, man. I'm looking at it right now. I am not blown away by it. I And I'm seeing a lot of, like, really forced perspective. Like, if you look here, you see Batman's boot, like, coming out 3D style, you know, and then you go a couple pages ahead and you see the front wheel of the motorcycle, and it's like a trick that they use a couple times, and frankly, I don't why think is it... The, why is that a problem? I don't think it looks good. Because I don't it think, happens in every comic book you pick up. I don't think that it looks all that good. Um, I think a lot of the... the. I mean, there's another sequence where girl's taking off her helmet. Over half of the page is that panel. That couldn't be any more boring of a panel. You're nitpicking now. I am nitpick, but I'm I'm going through the book and like really analyzing the art. I because you know why I wanted to buy this book more than anything because I expected Manipul to bring something brand new to Batman that I've never seen in a Batman book, and I don't feel like I've gotten it here. I I think that it was. A, a misstep to try to go as dark as they did. Hey, look, I realize it's Gotham City. It's the ugliest place on the planet, but it that's what Batman's for. That's what Dark Knight's for. That's what wh- whatever other Bat titles there are are for. Let, Batman and the others. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> let this be different, but yet I feel like they're still trying to kind of bring it into the so that way it blends in with the rest and, you know, personally, I would rather have all kinds of different takes on it. Like, here, big splash page dedicated to what? To somebody doing, like, dirt? Uh, like... They're spinning out on it. Yeah, but I mean... It's not even an exciting-looking panel. It's not dynamic in any way. it's telling you about that bicyclist's personality and her relationship to her mother and Bruce Wayne. Not the point. The point is, 
you use splash pages for something dynamic. You don't use up a full page for something that should happen in a smaller panel on a nine-panel grid. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think this is being awful nitpicky with this book. Yeah, I, I think understand you're being that necessarily hard. I, I understand that you're underwhelmed, but well, I, I'm 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 clearly citing my reasons for feeling the way that I do, okay. and I think the only way to do that is to nitpick essentially. I mean, it's it's not atrocious art by any means, but again, my expectations are way up here, and you're coming in well below them, so there's a huge level of disappointment when it has the Captain America Winter Soldier effect li- on you. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Which, not a bad movie, just wasn't what it needed to be if in my opinion. That score was just a little bit better. Two points for him. Yeah. Based on, based on the, like, let's say the trailer for this comic book, which would be all the, you know, the promotional the art co- that we had the, seen. Yeah, the, this uh, striking image on the cover. It led me to expect better than what I got in the sequential art in the actual book. So by your brief flipping through, do you feel like that's going to get a fail from you? No, not necessarily. Uh, I'm still going to read it. I'll, I'm sure I'll read it this week. And Well, the story is pedestrian. So if, if you feel the way I do about the story, then this entire issue is going to let you know. And, and also, it is his first Batman book, so... It might take him a few issues to really get into it and start to kind of carve out his niche, you know, his bat niche. What do you think, Sharply? thought it was okay. wasn't really... So you're with Paul and the book being, the story being kind of bland? Was, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, I, I was kind of thinking that maybe there would be some new exciting villain or an old villain from the past that we could connect to. I thought there Mm -hmm. might be a little bit more Batman. Um, Just was underwhelmed by the story. But, um, you know, the the artwork I liked still gets a pass from me. And I stopped reading Detective Comics for quite a while. So um, getting back on the Detective Comics train. See, I don't think it needs a known villain. I think you can I think you can successfully write a good Batman story that's just a standard a standard adventure for Batman. Sure, I I don't think it needs a known villain, but I think it needed somebody to spearhead this, and that's what I was expecting. It didn't happen. A little underwhelmed. That's all. Yeah, I guess like that villain is the squid. The squid. But yeah. We don't know anything about him. I don't really feel like I understand his motivations. And you know what? Maybe this will work better as a trade. You know what I mean? Like, judging it from one issue with a lot of hype on it is always difficult. Those setup issues can be, you know, just not good a lot of times. Silver Surfer? You know? They're just nothing but setup. I think we're two for two. Or we're two for four. With number one's setup issues. Because Ghost Rider and Aquaman and the others seem to do well. Yeah. And Detective and Silver Surfer. You know, and it's funny, too, because I would have expected the reverse. I think that, you know, Aquaman and Ghost Rider were a little bit more of the dark horses, Mm -hmm. so to speak. You think it's our expectation that led us in that direction? 
I think, well, I didn't read Detective, but I would lean toward that being the case for Detective. Silver Surfer, on the other hand, I think was just a bit of a failure because it wasn't that good. Uh, but on the other hand, I think Ghost Rider was that good. And maybe Paul's lower expectations for the others, Aquaman and the others, helped make that good. So a little bit of both, I would say. Anybody read anything else? I, I did. What did, did you read? What did you read? I read, uh, I read a, a book, well, a few books actually, called Rover Red Charlie. Anybody know what that's about? No. Sounds like some war bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's eyes couldn't have rolled back further into his head as he said some war bullshit. Um... It's actually a book about a trio of dogs that are living in the uh, as Paul or as Ian sighs heavily with disgust. I don't know what it is. Every time Ian has to hear somebody's explanation that he doesn't agree with, he lets out this really exasperated sigh. Just like you don't know that I agree or disagree yet. Well, it's just based on your previous, your previous body language. Um, it is, uh, anyway, it's a book about a trio of dogs that are living through some kind of insane shit going down with humans, which is all the people like in the city just go ape shit and start killing one another or themselves. Sounds like a Garth Ennis book to me. Yeah, it, it was, it was very Garth Ennis-y and, um... Wait, was Garth Ennis the writer on Preacher? Yeah. Also the writer on Cross. Um, this book has pretty good artwork. And... You think? Um, yeah. Yeah? I think this is a little sketchy, Matt. Do you? I also think it's pretty sketchy. And yeah. after, you, after you just hammered... Francis Manipal and that detective issue. And then you're saying this is pretty good. I don't know, man. There's a lot of... A lot of these images feel like they were cut out from a dog magazine. Or Let me something. see that. I mean, like, look at some of these heads. All right, hold on. Let me look. There's just a lot of weirdness going on with a lot of these images. Um, uh. Even the people that they draw kind of feel like they have... Not purposefully elongated limbs. This little funky guy right here. Yeah, there's... There's much to be desired with the old Rover Red Charlie. Um... No, I don't want to be charged with drawing a book starring three dogs because I don't think I could draw dogs. Oh, I could never do that. So, what... Um... Yeah, I mean, certainly this isn't the most polished artwork I've ever seen, and it relies very heavily on the painterly style colors more than, like, you know, clearly defined, like, inking lines or anything like that. But I, I think it's mainly the coloring, which kind of does it for me more than anything. Yeah, I, don't I mean, even know I can see that. Do. It's just, like, these shapes just don't really feel correct to me. Mm, I would probably have to disagree with that. It, it goes it goes from panel to panel because there's sometimes where 
where it does look right and it does it does feel good. And then there's other ones where it's it's clearly just like everything's real but bobbly and misshapen. Well, anyway, uh, the book is called uh, Rover Red Charlie, um, which stars a trail of dogs. One's like a basset hound named Rover, who is of British descent. Uh, you got Red, who is like a big red-looking dog, who's Flipper. yeah, who's kind of a little bit on the dumber side. And then you got Charlie, who is kind of the smartest one of the of the group, who used to be like a. a therapy dog or some kind of aid dog that would, I think his master was blind or something. And you have these three dogs that are trying to escape the, um, the city as all this horrible shit is going down, but you're getting it through their perspective. So they're kind of like, they don't get it. They call all the humans, the feeders. Um, they, they call the, like the river that they have, they have to get, out of the city, which is on an island. I don't know if it's New York or what, but um, they have to get across the river, which they call the Splash. I like the way that they portray the cats in this as these really nasty, devious scumbags that that clearly dogs and cats hate each other, and the cats try to set up these dogs to basically kill them, and they almost succeed because they jump these three dogs, and there's like 20 cats. Um, it, they sometimes like red will be walking and he'll call back to Charlie and he'll be like, dude, sniff my ass. Sniff, is, it, is it good? Is it good? Like, so they talk like how you would sort of think dogs would talk to one another based on their kind of weird behaviors. And that part was like, it kind of fun and sort of like, zapped you out of the story at the same time, you know? It's like you kind of get into the characters, you're, you're reading along, and then all of a sudden he has to remind you that you're reading dogs. And then, you know, they do weird things like that. So they're always saying, I'm a dog, I'm a dog, I'm a dog, and that's them barking. Not really sure why they have to say I'm a dog, but they do. Um, then the, they come across like ten chihuahuas, and they're all yipping, and they're saying, me too, me too, me too. Until an air conditioner falls on all of them and all their limbs go flying everywhere. So clearly Garth Ennis does not like chihuahuas and he's not real fond of cats either. And the the way they portrayed the cats was really interesting too because they made the cats smarter than the dogs. And the dogs know it too. They're like, oh man, we can't. We're not as smart as the cats. They, you know, because like the cats are trying to explain to the dogs before they set them up to try to kill them. They're like, you're going to want to cross the river, which is the dogs always call the, the splash. Well, and leave it to... I know what you're looking at right leave now. Leave it to Garth Ennis uh, to write a story <laughs> featuring yep. a young boy eating out a dog's asshole. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> and I was just like, we're just going to... As we were I, talking about the art, that was the page I came across, and I was like, I'm just going yeah, to ignore there this. There's this one panel where like this kid has a big chain around his neck. He's just he's all dirty and the roles a are t-shirt reversed. on. And in, in this new world, the roles are reversed. We're this huge fucking dog. Yeah. He's his, standing in a puddle of pee with pee running down his leg. And I was like, all right, classic Garth Ennis. And then I get I flip back to the, the bottle eating page, and yep, that's, that's a Garth Ennis book. That's now, what he does. I um, It's like the hand of God came down yeah. and was like, you're going to write Preacher. I, and after that, <laughs> you're going to have to write 
dog butthole waiting stories. <laughs> I really expected to like this better than I did. I thought I was going to connect with these characters. I the one I, you probably are right in line with. Which one? He dog buttholes. Oh, well, that was a human. Yeah. That was. So you didn't disturbing. like this book as much as you thought? N- no. Was this a point of sale purchase? You yeah. saw it on the shelf and you were like, hey, check this out. This looks good. Yeah, no, I didn't happen to come across the the, <laughs> the, the dog butthole looking picture. Oh no! Oh. No 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 no! Although if I had it nice and clean, this is is that what he says? That's what he's saying. Ha 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 ha! Shit boy, nice. Wait, ha 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 ha! Shit boy. Get it nice and clean. The fact that you even bought this and he puts goes, a and lot the, of your opinions into question. And the boy goes, num, 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 This, num. Is, this <laughs> is an example of a book that looks like it's for kids, but isn't. Because this is like, this is like Lady and the Tramp with bestiality bubble cutting. Yeah, kind of. It's, you know. It's kind of like Watership Down a little bit. That, that book is terrible. Well, no, I wouldn't say it's terrible, but I, I actually bought four issues of it, and I have Oh, you didn't even... Let's see the last one. I didn't on, read it yet. I didn't read it yet. We'll spoil, spoil it for you. Here. You guys can look at I it. I need but... to see it now, after that cliffhanger. Or rim hanger. <laughs> <laughs> I, expect, I expect more from Garth Ennis. Yeah. And he's I'm like, what the fuck happened? I don't know what happened. He was like my favorite writer and then he just went crazy. Frank Miller used to be a really good writer too. Is it that yeah, all comic like book Frank writers Miller. have like a sanity shelf life where they just go nuts after yes. a while? Yes. Is that true? Who has been great their entire career? Nobody. Yeah, that's um... It's an interesting, interesting book that you got there, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I like that you bought all four of them. Yeah, the, they had them all Commitment. on the shelf, and Commitment. and I thought, you know, I really think I'm going to get into this. I think these four issues are all I'm going to own. I'll read the fourth one unless something drastically happens to make me like it. I just don't care for the tone. I thought it, even though I saw Garth Ennis on the cover, I I still thought it wouldn't necessarily try to be more outrageous than tell a good story and it's clearly about just trying to be outrageous it's it was like, like let's like, do this but with dogs this time <laughs> it's like Garth Ennis was like I really like Pride of Baghdad but I want to make it garbage <laughs> how can I make that mine how can I make something just like that so I, I enjoyed Silver Surfer better <laughs> I would enjoy oh, you did, Silver did you? Surfer better. That's a bold statement. So, well, I think uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with canine rim jobs. Thank you for leaving that for the end, because <laughs> I don't think I could have functioned the rest of the show. Well, we would have had a, we would have had a ten minute podcast because after that we'd have just called it. That's it. Yeah, this is what comic books are. I'm done. So, basically fail and no I'm not going to recommend it you guys got what you needed out of it already yeah. yes. we absolutely did feels good uh, talking some comics tonight 
Are we looking forward to anything coming up this week? Any comics that we know uh, of? Doesn't the Amazing Spider-Man number one come out? Oh, that should be pretty this cool. Week or Except next for the week? fact that Dan Slott is attached to it. Fuck! Is he writing that? Yes. And you know what I... Humberto Ramos is drawing it. Humberto Ramos, one of my top five favorite Spider-Man artists. I'm pretty excited for this. I haven't bought a a regular Spider-Man issue in a long time, so... I'm just excited to see Peter Peter Parker back in action. And what did I say when we first started the podcast? I guaranteed Peter Parker would be back before the movie came out. So this is just one step in... Many of your domination of predictions. Well, I also thought Captain America 2 would be good, so. And on that note, my name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. The lovable Matt Casal. And we'll see you next time. what it is. Maybe I ate too much, but every time I'm finishing a podcast, I have to go take the biggest shit.